This episode of Takeaway is brought to you in part by California Food Service Instant Rebates. You could save up to $4,000 per unit on high-efficiency commercial food service equipment. In this time of need, the industry is building new restaurants and creating new concepts, and it needs equipment. You'll be able to choose from a variety of qualifying products and get valuable instant rebates as a discount on your invoice. No paperwork, no waiting. Find a participating dealer in qualifying products at caenergywise.com slash instant rebates. That's caenergywise.com forward slash instant dash rebates. Hey there, welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nations Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief here at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all-access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision makers. This week, I'm talking with Ben Jacobs. He is the co-founder of Tokabe, a two-unit fast casual in Denver, serving a Native American-inspired menu using ingredients sourced from Native tribes via a supply chain that Ben and his co-founder Matt Chandra built themselves. Ben and Matt co-founded Tokabe in 2008 with the mission of shining a spotlight on the incredible foods of Native American tribes. And now they're looking to scale that mission and this concept beyond Colorado. Ben joined the podcast to talk about how they were able to build their own supply chain, how they support Native tribes beyond the menu, and how they're rethinking their store format and labor structure following valuable lessons brought about by COVID. Before I jump into that conversation, remember that there are many other ways you can engage with NRN's industry-leading content. Not only can you subscribe to our monthly print edition and daily AM newsletter at nrn.com slash subscribe, but you can also subscribe to NRN's award-winning podcast, Extra Serving, where our editors discuss the hot-button issues of the day, and we share interviews with a wide variety of restaurant personalities. We also publish the podcast, First Bite, a daily podcast that shares the top restaurant headlines of each day and goes deep on one particular headline with the help of the NRN editorial team. Be sure to subscribe to Extra Serving and First Bite wherever you listen to podcasts. Finally, I have got special news for those of you based in the Washington, D.C. metro area. On October 17th, we are hosting our first ever Create Roadshow, a networking reception for leaders at emerging restaurant concepts and independent restaurants in the nation's capital. Not only is this a valuable networking opportunity for the local restaurant community, but we will also be hosting an educational panel during that event featuring the founders of two leading fast casuals based in DC, Rasa and Chaya Tacos. If you want to connect with your peers, learn some tips on scaling your business, or let's be honest, just enjoy a night out with some free drinks, this is the event for you. It's happening from 6 to 9 p.m. on October 17th at Chaya's Chinatown location, and all restaurant leaders and operators are welcome to join. For more information and to RSVP to this free event, click on the link in the show notes in your app player or at nrn.com. Jumping now into my interview with Tokabe co-founder Ben Jacobs. Also, don't forget to stick around after the interview as I will share my five takeaways from this discussion, actionable insights that you can take with you on the go. 
Okay, Ben Jacobs of Tokabe. Uh, thanks, Ben, for joining today. You and I got to hang out a little bit last week, and I had the pleasure of eating at your restaurant. For those who have not been to Denver or had the pleasure of eating at Tokabe, what is the story of this restaurant? Um, quick synopsis to start. <laughs> Okay, let's see how far back you want me to go. Uh, well, thanks for having me. I'm really excited um, to be able to talk about this and to, to sit with you. So anyways, Tokabe is a fast, casual style uh, restaurant. So we're all counter service. We are focused on native-based cuisine. So we do a range of, uh, uh, you select your base and then you work your way down the assembly line style like we're all kind of familiar with. So we do Indian tacos, stuffed fry breads. We do something called a grilled bannock bread, which we like throw on a charboiler right in front of you, cook it over open fire, cut it, serve it on the side. We have what we call medicine wheel nachos, which are um, Ute Mountain blue corn chips. And then again, all your toppings. We have grain-based bowls, so wild rice, red quinoa, wheat berries. Run the gamut um, on the base. And then all of our toppings, again, beans, meat, all your uh, other uh, salsas, relishes, things like that. We cover most um items that people are really familiar with so um you know beans corn squash are the heart of uh, a lot of what we do along with our protein being uh our most exciting and our most popular is bison we're a very bison forward restaurant and one of our most popular items which is not on the assembly line style because uh, we're kind of a blend of two two styles is uh, bison ribs uh, we do an in-house bison rib with rotating Berried barbecue sauce, so blueberry, blackberry, huckleberry, um, and then that's all again cooked to order, served out uh, out into the dining room. I basically did one of each of those things um, when I was there last week, and and can uh, validate that all of it is incredible. Um, so going back a little further, am I correct mm -hmm. to say that your family had a restaurant, and that it kind of got started out of your family's restaurant originally? Absolutely. So. Uh, my family ended up in, I'm the youngest of four, and my family ended up in Denver in 86, 87, when my mother got a job at the Denver Indian Center. So we have a large native population in Denver to begin with. And so they opened a restaurant in 1989, right downtown on the 16th Street Mall called Gray Horse American Indian Eatery. So again, same approach that we have. It was in a food court. And so you walked up to the counter and you selected all your toppings. Um, and then you, you know, you just had an open dining room that everyone shared. So, you know, what we wanted to then do was recreate what they had started, um, you know, basically 20 years later and reinvigorate kind of their initial idea, their concept, and then make it its own specific location, its own brick and mortar that it didn't share the dining room, that it really was truly its own concept. And so they had the start of something really special. Uh, with that assembly line style, with that approach to making sure that you have communication about what the food is. Because if you say something to someone like uh, Osage hominy salsa or uh, green chili stew or braised bison, sure, you may understand what some of that is, but people want to see it. They want to, you know, they want to engage about it. They want to ask questions about it. And so uh, they were off to a great start. So we basically um, recreated that myself and my business partner, Matthew Chandra. And we opened in, let's see, 2000, December of 2008. So almost 20 years after they started their concept. 
Incredible. Now, I, I'm sure, as you mentioned, I mean, education is such a big piece of your concept because mm-hmm. I don't think most American consumers even understand what native cuisine would be. So mm-hmm. f- for those listening who may still not understand, what, how would you define native cuisine and specifically Osage cuisine, which I know you guys are, are primarily based around? Yeah, yeah. So I love this question because it's a terrible answer. <laughs> is that 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 is truly the question is what is native cuisine because we're not all the same we're all uniquely mm. different region to region you know across the country there's over 500 um tribal communities around just the united states and so what is native cuisine so for us we barely scratched the surface uh and when we opened we, that's why we did indian tacos which people are familiar with we did fry bread um things like that because it's in no way universal but it is something that is cross-cultural between tribal community, tribal community, native community, the native community. So that was our foot in the door. And it is something that um, a lot of people have maybe heard of and they can familiarize with. Uh, so again, we, we're very ingredient driven now. That's how I always say it. We started with Osage specific recipes with us being Osage, which is uh, located Northeast Oklahoma. Um, we start with a lot of those recipes because it's family recipes, it's family based, things like that. And then um, expanded beyond as we grew. So now we say we are very much a ingredient driven restaurant. So we make sure that we support, uh, tribal food producers, local food producers, and then make sure that, um, it all has its roots in either, um, uh, you know, a tribal community or, um, um, or an indigenous based ingredient, whether it's grown uh, or not by a tribal entity. So that's where a lot of our localized, um, food comes from. So mostly produce and things like that. So the, 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 the difficult question is what is it? And that's the exciting mm-hmm. thing for us as a concept is that we can help advance the dialogue of what is native cuisine currently, where is it going? And then it also really opens the door for the creativity of what we want to do and what we want to share. Yeah. What, what do you hope to accomplish in that sort of educating the American consumer about just at least what, you know, what Osage uh, cuisine is like? And then how can you take that conversation further? Because again, American consumers, you know, they, they just don't broadly understand native cuisine of, of any kind. So Mm -hmm. where does that conversation go from here? According to like what you and Matt hope to accomplish? Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that we really push for is, is, if someone's interested to create some dialogue to have people kind of question why we do what we do, how, like, how is this relate to that? What, what, um, tell me about the ingredients, things like that. One thing that is really important that I always like to emphasize is that many of the ingredients we use, the general population is familiar with. So again, mm-hmm. like, let's refer back to corn, beans, and squash. It's kind of in many ways, the Trinity of ingredients for native peoples. Cause it's so broadly, um, grown in different variations and varietals around the country. So that helps. Um, and then, you know, proteins and things like that, people familiar with. So when you come in, a lot of times someone's, what is this? And they're excited, they're interested, and they're like, oh, I, I, I get that. I have some familiarity behind this this ingredient or whatever it may be. But then the utilization of that or the actual components, how they're put together is a little bit different. So again, everyone's familiar with a blueberry, right? Everyone's familiar mm-hmm. with a barbecue sauce. And then how we um, create that recipe then is make something familiar, but then that's tied back to, you know, more traditional cooking of actually going out um, and foraging for berries as well. And then rendering them down open, open, open fire, um, you know, the ribs, things like that, slow braised, 
the techniques um, go back to traditional methods and things that are still utilized now. Um, but then again, a consumer or you know one of our guests that comes in, it kind of puts them at ease because it's not so different. It has some connection. And that's one thing that we try and reinforce also is that you know we we don't hold ourselves to um, I guess borders. So if we want spices, we want different things like that. We're willing to go to what is an ingredient that's normally known as a Central American ingredient, let's say, um, or for us like quinoa, we go to South America's as indigenous based ingredient. So again, for us, it's really about supporting and showing off um, the community, and then have people kind of question why we do what we do and then question the ingredient and then give kind of that record of this is a an indigenous based ingredient in this community so for us the the big thing is having people kind of question what their image or their their thought of native peoples is and really make it current we're trying like this is who we are now and this is where we're going we're just as progressive and creative and engaging and forward moving and thinking as everyone else. And so we want to kind of clash. We always say break that romanticized image of what native peoples are. I imagine too, some of that must be to overcome stereotypes and to also treat it as not a novelty, but a true uh, delicious cuisine. Because I think some people might think of that again, as a novelty, as almost like they're tourists in a place trying this food, but that's not what you're trying to do. You're not trying to make this a tourist attraction, trying to say this is a legitimate restaurant. Yeah. I mean, that's the goal of what we do is for you to come in and enjoy a great meal and then to go about your day. But we always have the door open for, do you want to just eat and think it's delicious and head out? Do you want to eat and be like, Hey, I got a question, you know, I want, I want to know about this. There's always that as well, because we want people to actively engage. But again, we're not here to force, <laughs> force something down your throat, you know, uh, in that context, you know, we want people to be interested, but we're a restaurant at the end of the day. So mm -hmm. we just want you to come in and enjoy the food and then take away from it what you will. And maybe that's like the next time you're somewhere like, yo, I had this wild rice and it was incredible. And I had no idea that it had this like deep root in native community. Like, I think it's really cool. Like, even if that's a little touch point of education, that's really cool, especially in the world now with people being so food, you know, such like foodies, they then share ingredients and stories. And that's, again, that's the goal of what we do, um, you know, on, on a daily basis, I suppose. Sure. I'm curious about your decision to go into the fast casual model in particular, because, mm -hmm. you know, two things jump out to me first off, which is the the high quality nature of your food mm -hmm. um, and the um, supply supplying from native um, suppliers and vendors. Mm -hmm. Um, both of those things would seem to be more difficult for a fast casual environment, which w is more about volume and more about convenience and affordability. You guys are still doing this at very affordable price points. Mm -hmm. So t tell me about the, the decision to go into fast casual and, and how difficult has it been to maintain fast casual when you do have um, so much attention you have to pay to supply and to quality? Right. Yeah. And it's, it, that's been difficult, but I will tell you just to kind of jump back and, and unpack some of that is that. You know, when we started, we based off what my parents had done, but also mm -hmm. the real decision came about from that is it's always about making sure that it's accessible for us because there's not a lot of native restaurants around the country. And so we didn't want to make something that 
outpriced our own community members. But mm. our restaurant's not just made for native peoples. It's made for everybody. So we want everyone to come in. So it's also making it accessible for anyone in the population to come in. Now, you know, it's a little bit more pricey than if you were to go to some other fast casual concepts, but it's also not fine dining. It's not something that your family could go to, you know, once every six months. It's something that we wanted anyone to have the ability to go once a week if they wanted to, once every two weeks, or maybe once a month if you're a family of, of you know, more. So it was all about making sure that it's accessible and then finding that fine balance of uh, being business driven and also being culturally driven. So that's where it comes in line for us is where do we find our price point? Where are we willing to have our margins? Where are we willing to give up a little bit on something and uh, trade off somewhere else? So it was very specific for us to make sure that that was our number one focus, um, because also we wanted to share the experience of native cuisine, you know, uh, native peoples. And again, if we just made that for a certain part of the population, then that doesn't, it doesn't hit our mark for what our real philosophy and our vision is. So there was that. And then really for us, the supply chain, and that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that we're really excited about. And it's something we wanted to do for years. And it just took a long time to get to that point. And actually COVID was um, a real catalyst for that was mm. actually becoming our own distribution channel and working with our tribal producer partners and actually creating our own supply chain for ourselves. So thinking about expansion, thinking about um, distribution, it's something that for us to do that, we have to be a self-distributor at that point. So we go and we yeah. make relationships and partnerships and say, hey, we want to buy a pallet load of wild rice at a time. We want to buy two pallet loads of pinto beans at a time. We're going to buy 4,000 pounds of uh, bison cut, you, you know, cuts so we can braise, we can use the grind, all these different things creating our own warehouse here. So again, at that point, you know, we obviously still have to be working with, you know, our numbers and our margins and things like that, but it does make it more, much a more viable option for us because you're not just ordering at a distance 200 right. pounds of wild rice that they're going to ship from UPS. No, we're actually building it and bringing the supply chain and then putting it out. So there's a lot of things that we've discussed over the years that, uh, you know, we thought we'd be much further along, you know, if you talked to us when we opened and we were 25 years old and we were like, we're going to have, you know, 20 of these in four years and whatnot. But it took the point to get to this, to one, educate the public, to build our own supply chain, create the partnerships with our distributors, things like that. So as we now grow, we have a true foundation for the, the, the ingredients in the food that we share. Yeah. T tell me about building that supply chain though, too, because do you, do you make the relationships and then do you find ways to integrate them into dis distributors? Uh, how, what does that process look like of getting them, getting it so that you're not traveling all the way to pick up that pallet of wild rice, basically? <laughs> well, well, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting right now. So a lot of the, a lot of the ingredients that we're bringing in now and what we're, we're doing right now were partnerships that we had previously and ingredients that we were bringing in, just not on the scale that we were before. And COVID kind of brought that with the food shortages. We started finding ways to bring in more and then redistribute that to just the, the community, whether it was through the restaurant or elsewhere. There's just ways to support not only our business, but to support native food production, kind of keep everyone afloat. That was um, the goal. Now it's really interesting because I'll give you an example. So one of our, um, you know, producer partners is Navajo Pride Foods. And okay. they, they grow pinto beans. They actually grow, I always say this to people in a lot of cases, they're like, oh, pinto beans, a pinto beans, a pinto bean. It's, it's really not. Uh, mm -hmm. Just like any other ingredient, I, there is a quality difference that you get. So we source our pinto beans from them. Now going to them and saying, hey, I want to buy 2,000 pounds of pinto beans multiple times a year. 
can you do that? Well, one, yes, they can do the volume, but two, there's no distribution channel there. So we would either have to pick it up or build our own chain. So then having to make partnerships with um, carriers that then grab a pallet of pinto beans and bring it up from farming to New Mexico to us in Denver, but then building into that chain. Also, they're going to stop in Southern Colorado at Ute Mountain Ute and pick up blue cornmeal for us, throw mm-hmm. that on on a truck as well, and then bring it here. So in some ways, yes, we are going to pick it up ourselves, but it was really building our own supply chain to do that. Same thing with bison. Mm-hmm. Uh, an example on bison is that we bought 25 of our own live head of buffalo, got those from South Dakota, brought those down to Oklahoma, where my tribe has a processing facility, processed the animals, and then brought them to uh, – and then brought that up to – Denver. So like that was a native supply chain start to finish. They were raised um, by tribal producers and then our actual tribal uh, processor processed them and then we brought it into our restaurant and then sold it in our restaurant. So like it's a it's it's a native, you know, indigenous animal that then was in the supply chain native start to finish. So through that, my point is we had to build that, too, to the point even that we had to buy a trailer and say to my cousin in Oklahoma, I need you to drive up to South Dakota and pick up 15 buffalo and bring them back down to Oklahoma. So the good thing for us now and where we're at, because we are in this real growth phase, is we had the time through COVID in the last few years to really emphasize and focus on that because it was always a goal for ours. But as we were Mm -hmm. trying to rebuild and reestablish our own concepts, we were able to really establish this part of our concept because that's a very important part of our concept is not only are we a native restaurant, but we're a native restaurant that has to source native ingredients. I mean, it's a part of what we do. It's just like, I don't know, if you compare it to uh, you know, uh, an Italian concept, they want to make sure that they get a true olive oil. They want to get a true right. um, you, you know, um, salami, I don't know, something along those lines. You, know, you want to make sure that it's the essence of what it is. And that's, what, that's what's really important to our concept. So we're able to build that through this process. Yeah, I mean, it's so commendable because, I mean, anybody else would look at this and say, I'm sure it's not cheaper and I'm sh- it's obviously harder. Y- you could have cut a lot of corners there, but I imagine this being part of your, your mission statement, your values, you didn't want to cut those corners. So that's, that's very commendable. I mean, what, what else have, have you learned about um, the, the Tokabe brand, I guess, and the mission statement and the values through all of this? What are some other things that to you are you know, um, non-negotiables, I guess, for the Tokabe mm-hmm. brand as you do look to scale this thing. Yeah. I mean, I think our biggest non-negotiables and things that we, well, one, things that we really learned through this whole process is one, that the concept had legs. I mean, that was something that's really mm-hmm. important to us because when you do say uh, native restaurant, if you lump that in with sandwiches and pizza and things that are really familiar, it's hard, you know, it's hard to get to that. But we learned through this process, one, that we truly have legs and, and two, that um, the, the, there's still, <laughs> you know, no, you know, not to be funny, but like, there's still a hunger for it. Like people still want to see it. They want to see it all over. That was something that Mm -hmm. was really um, exciting for us is that people didn't want it to go away and they wanted to see it closer to where they live, you know, because we still just have a small, um, you know, regional base, I guess, in Colorado. But I think that the big thing for us that are non-negotiables is the quality of the product and um, how we actually produce that product, right? And so everything is still made in-house. We still want people's hands on the food, cooking it. Like our ovens are in 24 hours a day because we're brazing things overnight. We're grilling and throwing things in the oven all day long. I mean, those for us are non-negotiables. And I think that that's incredibly important now, 
at the point we're in in the food industry and the point we're at in fast casual especially is people want to know that it's it's fresh they want to know it's made there they want to know the 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 sourcing methods behind it and literally mm-hmm. our concept are all those touch points whether you, you know whether it was planned or unplanned i think that's um something for us that is incredibly um um important and also a non-negotiable and then also for us when we look beyond the food, it's really our connection to the community that's really important and making sure that we always maintain that wherever we go regionally. So a good example of that would be like interior um, design, bringing in people within um, the local native communities to make sure that we incorporate things that are important. Our music is all 100% native and indigenous artists. And that's not what people expect of just being, you know, um, like a traditional flute music, things like that. But it's hip-hop edm folk like you name it so people are like yo i like your music what is this like oh this is like a hip-hop artist who's pawnee whatever it may be they're edm they're you know first nations from canada like those things are all non-negotiables for us because that is the concept the concept is top to bottom food environment atmosphere everything um that we're very very specific on because again for Mm -hmm. us there's not a lot of restaurants like this. So we want to make sure that what we share with the world is something that people understand that we actually took the time to make decisions on why we present and represent what we do. Mm -hmm. In the 14 years now that you guys have been running this concept, what are, what are some ways that it has evolved? I mean, imagine you guys have learned a lot about all of this and that you've probably grown the idea of what Tokabe is and can be. What are some of those ways that it's, that it's grown or changed or evolved? Well, I'll say the biggest thing that's really for us that's grown is we started very small. We started with like an even smaller menu than what we have right now. And a lot of it was based on accessibility to ingredients. So the biggest thing that we've seen in our growth is our ability and access and the accessibility for ingredient use like utilization i mean again okay. 10 years ago saying hey we need to get because uh, i could go to a big big supplier and i could get wild rice right but it has i don't know what it is where it came from anything like that what the true quality is and the price actually a lot of times is way higher because not a lot of people are buying that from a big a big um distributor um so for us, you know, 10 years ago calling and saying, Hey, I need to get wild rice. It's like, well, can you buy 500 pounds? I was like, are you kidding? No. Like, cause they were, and it made sense. Cause they were like, I can't send you less. I need to send big, um, uh, big quantities. So that's been really important for the evolution of what we do. And then really, um, I think for us also through our 14 years is we've been able to educate the public and we've been able to drive a demand for it. And then we've been able to really iron out what our concept is. Um, and I know it seems like, yeah, okay, well, it's 14 years, take a couple years out of it. But also there's a real learning process from us too, because again, we were in the restaurant industry forever, myself, my business partner, Matt. Um, but we were starting a concept of 25 that had really no one to look at other than a flow, right? Like this is the flow of this yeah. type of restaurant. So we've truly evolved in efficiencies, consistencies, sourcing methods, like all those things we've been able to build out now um, and like across the board. Cause as we all know, as you expand and you grow, when someone comes into Denver and they go into Tulsa or they go into Phoenix, they want something that still is, Oh, this is like what I expected to get. This is like, they have right. this dialed in so much. So um, I, I think that like, 
broadly speaking, like those are the things that we've really been able to evolve and focus on across the board. Sure. You, you mentioned COVID and how it was a, a catalyst for your supply chain in particular. I'm curious what other some le- what some other lessons might have been because off premises in particular. I'm wondering like how does your food travel? I mean, you know, I got to eat it right away um, at the restaurant. Did you guys find that your food held up off premises? Was that a good opportunity for you? It was an amazing opportunity for us because before we didn't do we still don't do any delivery, um, but okay. we we. Um, we only did indoor, you know, in-house dining. And, and it didn't mean that we didn't package it to go, but we did no um, online sales. We did no pre-orders, things like that. You know, that wasn't something that was a part of our concept prior to that. Uh, and then through COVID, you know, we launched the, the, you know, like the app where you can order, you can come in and pick it up. We, again, we still didn't want to stick with delivery. We did go with um, catering options was a huge one for us. Um, and it okay. seems crazy during COVID, but what we were doing is we were working with um, different organizations, different businesses, and doing individually packaged meals. So that gave mm-hmm. us a huge um, kind of jump into that world because we hadn't really done that. So it was like, okay, how can we package this efficiently? What are our containers? And also, because it was it was really difficult to have access to containers because everyone wanted them. And for us, right. our I, I, I know that myself and Matt specifically like we wanted a certain container for like an Indian taco. Like we had to find mm-hmm. that. So that really gave us the time to dial in what we wanted for our food and how to share that. And what was going to be the best form of transport for that? How many things could we fit in a container? How many um, items could we fit in a box to then take out? Um, and what I was going to say is we partnered with just a, a more of a, a corporate um, driven catering company. So it wasn't just individuals, it was all the businesses. And then a lot of those were individually packaged. So we could also iron out efficiencies on that. How can we go about having this? Do we need a separate line so we can start really pushing volume through for indoor dining, but then also for catering business or for our online orders, things like that. So it was looking at the positives out of it. It was really important to us because we hadn't done any of that. And I don't know if we would have jumped into it as soon um, because of that. And then we were really able to have some real research into how does the product travel? Um, what holds mm. up? What should we suggest to people? Like, this is going to be the best thing that you're going to want. Um, this is, you know, get grain bowls. Grain bowls are the best. Or if you're going to do Indian tacos, do we put everything in a bowl and then we put the bread separately and then you build it up, up at home yourself and still kind of create that interactive um, opportunity? So again, out of all the negatives of COVID, for us specifically, I think that we were able to gain a huge amount, which we weren't expecting. And now mm-hmm. it has truly helped with the regrowth uh, of the brand again, because now our crew, you know, we can bring them in, we can train someone right away. This is how you do the in-house dining. And then this is how you do, um, you know, our online orders. And they're like, I got it. This is easy because we were able to yeah. build with it not being as, because sometimes we get slammed. So it's hard to train someone on adding these other things when you're slammed. So being able to right. do that through both has been really, really helpful for us. 
Yeah, I mean, the efficiencies of running the restaurant, that's what I mean, is a theme over and over and over with people I speak with, that the last couple of years, they've learned so much about how to make how to be more efficient operation. Um, For a lot of people, that's meant that they can really downsize the operation that they can kind of scale back on the footprint and all that. But I mean, for you guys, you're you're doing everything in house. Do you see that opportunity as well? Are there ways you can downsize that operation? Or do you still require, you know, that space and that high level of, of operation to execute what you're doing yeah you know we've discussed it in multiple ways um that we could um actually you know what we're kind of moving to now as we grow is we're kind of moving towards instead of the assembly line style is order at the cash register and then sit um as okay. many concepts are you know we're, we we've wanted to do that for a long time because it also gives the ability to expand the menu and again as i said earlier we're a bit of a blend of two two style restaurants. We are that assembly line style, but we're also grab a, you know grab your number and sit because even though you can get bites and ribs in five to seven minutes, it's still five to seven minutes where someone could have an Indian taco or a grain bowl immediately. And so right. you know we're evolving as a brand in that way because it can expand um, the menu in one way, but also it does help with as I'm sure that you and everyone else is so familiar with at this point, but the labor struggles, things like that is for us, we don't want to lose people, right? We're not trying to change and modify in order to like actually weed people out of the company. What we're trying to Mm -hmm. do is actually one, make it, um, you know, better for what we want to do, provide more options on our menu. And I don't mean like crazy amounts of options, but expanding a little bit on the menu, um, making it a little bit more streamlined for the customer as well, the online orders, things like that, where we have a little more wiggle room with timing, even though we like to be fast, fast, fast. Um, but also with the labor struggles of having fewer hands out in the front of the house, on the line, things like that. Um, because for us, it's very important to have a lot of back of house people. Again, when you're talking yeah. about doing a minimum of a 24-hour dry cure on bison ribs, where you have to have those prepped, you know, um, dry rubbed and then cured for 24 hours. And then at the same time, you're prepping bison chuck rolls and you're getting those in the oven for 13 hours. There's a lot of hands to go into that. And again, it's kind of like I was saying, like that for us is a non-negotiable. So um, yeah. yes, we've seen room for that and also maybe downsizing our dining rooms a little bit, but also for us, as I, you know, I'll, I'll always drive home. There's not a lot of restaurants like ours. We have a lot of people that come to visit us. Like we have people from mm-hmm. all over, you know, one, the country when they're in town, but two, specifically in the city, you know, they'll come a much further distance than they normally would to just go grab a bite because the one, they enjoy it. And two, there's really not another one that they can go to. So indoor dining right. is important to us. And I don't mean a hundred seats, but right now we're sitting at, you know, 45 seats in one. Does that mean we can drop down, you know, and we're at the 30 range? Sure. So yeah, yeah. we're working through all those and we're making some real modifications and evolutions to the brand. Uh, but people in-house are super important to us and our philosophy and what we represent and, and how we tell our story. Well, one thing I, I, I did appreciate about my experience at Tokabe is, um, for starters, um, just to commend you, I did this in person, but to say it here officially on the podcast is the um, customer service was fantastic. That um, I, myself, I, I'd eaten at Tokabe once before years ago, but um, you know, not as familiar with the flavors. And so I did engage with your um, staff to, to get some suggestions and took their suggestions and it was the right suggestions. So that was really helpful. But what I also appreciate too, to your point, you guys have build your own, but you also have signature. So if you don't know how to build your own, you can choose the signature and then all everything's figured out for you, which for myself, you know, I have this at other, I mean, I have this at Mediterranean concepts and Chinese concepts. 
I don't know what the best pairings are. Mm-hmm. And so you guys are there to offer that for me because you're the expert and I'm not. And I think that's it's, it seems like that's kind of the more the direction you might be heading that signature option. Absolutely. So we that, that, I'm glad you brought that up because that is one direction we're really going with the menu uh, because we do have and especially depending on where the location is. So one of our locations is in a real business heavy area and some people are they got to go faster and we like moving fast. So to walk up and just say, Hey, I want the fancy. Hey, I want the triple D. Hey, I want the original. Like they're able to just say that. So we want to expand that a little bit, but we also want to give people the ability and the opportunity to say, Ooh, look at all these toppings. Look at all these ingredients. I want to make my own. So we can kind of mm-hmm. get, again, we want to get across the board that if you don't know these ingredients like this, and, and I tell people that like, this is my favorite one. Like, I eat the tradish because that's my favorite. And we built that one because that's what I like to eat. That's my favorite. <laughs> and so we're kind yeah. of, yes, going in that way. But also, I appreciate you talking about customer service because we take that very seriously here and for a couple of reasons is that, again, I beat into people's head and I'm sure it gets so old. But since there's not a lot of concepts like us and we represent Native community, our big thing is you're representing not only our concepts, but you're representing a, a, a group of people that aren't normally... Um, you know, at the forefront and don't always have that right. voice. And so we want people to not only walk out of here and say, man, that food was awesome, but dang, they were so nice. Like I want mm-hmm. them to actively enjoy, like our big thing is like, I want you to enjoy your job because I want to come in and I want to have fun. I want to laugh. I want to engage. And so we build that as the culture of our restaurant so that they know they have the ability to enjoy what they do. Um, mm-hmm. And then also, you know, when it comes to explaining the food, I always tell them like, don't sell, like, I don't want you to sell this because that's what I want you to sell. This is our best margin. I want you to sell what you like, because Mm. if you like it, the goal is like, sure, we could have an upsell here today or there. We're going to get a better margin on chicken than we are on bison. And, but the thing is, I want people to enjoy it to come back because that's the goal is to get them back in the door all the time. And so don't just say hominy because that's our signature. No, say what you like and give them the freedom to do that. Because then, in my opinion, it really builds a lot of strength in your team to give them the fun, the flexibility, and also um, the option to just be like, look, be who you are and do what you do and have fun. But at the same time, like just follow kind of, what our, you know, what our protocol is of being kind and saying hello and being interactive. I mean, across the board, and that goes back to kind of what you're talking about is it takes a long time to build your culture too of your establishment because as you grow, you want to make sure that you have a real um, heart to what you do. Well, it seems like, I mean, it's, it's more personable that way and it seems like it builds trust with your customers. And I think when you talk about culture, I mean, I think it comes back to trust. It's not only trust between yourself and your employees, but you have to build a trust with your customers. And you guys have the disadvantage of out of the gate. It's harder to build that trust maybe with a concept they're not as familiar with because they're just, they haven't had that experience before. So, so you have to trust your, your employees to do that for you, which Mm -hmm. is great. You, you mentioned growth. So clearly you guys have growth on on your mind. Mm -hmm. What does growth look like for Tokabe, especially considering I assume you have to scale your supply chain, you have to scale all these unique elements of the concept. What does that look like to you? Absolutely. So, you know, right before COVID hit, you know, we decided we, we'd gone back and forth for a long time of what we wanted to do and how we saw our concept grow. And we had all these different ideas of what we wanted to kind of do and where we see ourselves. And we thought eventually that the best for us was to go the franchise model. 
And it's for multiple mm -hmm. different things. We could focus our attention in all different places, but also to provide opportunity and build even broader partnerships, right? And what does that mean? So yeah. right before COVID hit, we finished all our franchise documentation. We were working with um, a tribal community out of Washington State, and that was kind of be our first big kind of launch into not only a new region, but um, an expansion of the brand and multiple units. And then COVID hit, we had to back off. So now we're back mm -hmm. at that point um, of restarting and reinvigorating that. You know, we've built, you know, our own um, um, brick and mortars back up. They're doing well. We have a restaurant opening as our first license agreement at Denver International Airport next year. So that was a okay. major one for us. Uh, it's huge yeah. for the brand, for the visibility, things like that. Um, and now we're, what our real focus is currently is, uh, Tribal entities. So um, going into tribal casinos, that's something that we're working with. We're um, in the middle of kind of trying to iron out a partnership with someone in Oklahoma to do multi-unit. Um, so we want to work with tribal entities there uh, just because it yeah. fits. It's, it's, it's the, it's the style, it's the pace, it's, it's um, the, the food that fits in that environment. So we want to go there and obviously, you know, being tribal entities as well, that's perfect. And then, the next expansion or while we're doing that as well is, you know, we're really trying to partner with multi-unit operators. It, and that's a specific reason for us. So when we're talking about brick and mortars, we're talking about on the street, we want current multi-unit operators uh, just based on how specific we are with our concept, right? We yeah. want people that have true experience and have skin in the game and understand the restaurant industry. And I have nothing against someone that has never been in the restaurant industry or anything like that and wants to get into it. But for our brand, we want to make sure that they can maintain and support us through that supply chain and we can support them properly and making sure that they get in ingredients and making sure that they understand how to build the culture and maintain the culture um, and have that real communication dialogue as restaurateurs on the same level. Mm -hmm. But also we want to partner in that context because we don't want to just be popping open one there or one there. We want to go in and really create a partnership with a franchise franchisee as we would a food producer, right? Like we're in yeah. this together. We don't want it just to be one. We want you to do three. Uh, we want you to do five. And how is that going to work? And so that you are truly committed to our brand, the way that we're going to commit ourselves to you. And then the thing that's exciting for us is that really then can expand our supply chain and can really mm -hmm. expand our own distribution channel so that we can really have a growth of native food production because that's incredibly important to us as a brand as well and keeping money in the mm -hmm. community and keeping kind of money cyclical and really support um, native uh, ranchers, uh, farmers across the board. So that's kind of our real push right now. And we're really excited. I mean, we've been planning this for so long, you know, and it's like, we're finally at that point. And it, again, it was great that we had that couple years to focus our attention and really build and say like, all right, now we're ready to rock. Like, let's get at it. Right. feels like there's a real rising tide situation going here, which is as you grow, you're lifting up so many other entities, stakeholders, um, native vendors in particular that, uh, I mean, that's just a, a cool opportunity for you guys to, to represent such an amazing community. Uh, last question for you, Ben, what, 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 what are you most excited about for the future? As you look ahead, as you guys jump into this process of franchising, of growth and scaling, what's the part of it that excites you the most? Oh man, that's a tough question. But uh, I guess the simplest answer is I'm, and I'm, I'm speaking for myself and I'm probably speaking for Matt as well, that we are excited to 
get this brand and this concept and this vision and philosophy that we have to the masses, we'll say. Really getting yeah. it all over the place because that was our vision and our dream in the beginning when we were 23 years old and we were starting to plan this. And what mm -hmm. gives us that excitement now is we have people like yourself or people that meeting last week, you know, at the create conference or just online people in the store saying, I want this where I live. Why is this not in Seattle? Why is this not in San Antonio? Why is this not, you know, in DC, all these different places mm -hmm. that gives us the excitement to really grow our brand and know that people enjoy what we do and enjoy the cuisine mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Like you just want to have a good meal. And so for us, Mm -hmm. I think that that's the most exciting part because it's what we saw when we were, you know, starting 14 years ago and now to be at that point um, and to kind of get over that mass, you know, massive hurdle through COVID to now really see our concept grow is awesome because not only it's great as a footprint for native community, but for us, it's really exciting because it does support so many different parts and moving parts of the food world. For us specifically, yeah. as we know that restaurant brands are like, hey, we support this local farm, we support that. It's awesome. And for us to say we support all this native food production, we support ranchers and all these things, like there's so many things to be excited about. And especially after the last couple of years where it was hard to be excited, it's fun to just be <laughs> excited again um, and to, you know, to get your food out to the world and into people's hands and, and yeah. stomachs. It's like you've you've earned the right to be excited now after the last couple of years, right? <laughs> yeah, I, well, I hope so. I sure I sure hope so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ben Jacobs of Tokabe, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This episode of Takeaway is brought to you in part by California Food Service Instant Rebates. You could save up to four thousand dollars per unit on high efficiency commercial food service equipment. In this time of need, the industry is building new restaurants and creating new concepts, and it needs equipment. You'll be able to choose from a variety of qualifying products and get valuable instant rebates as a discount on your invoice. No paperwork, no waiting. Find a participating dealer and qualifying products at caenergywise.com slash instant rebates. That's caenergywise.com forward slash instant dash rebates. That was my interview with Tokabe co-founder Ben Jacobs. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my five takeaways. My first takeaway is that restaurants focused on a particular cuisine are only scratching the surface. I feel like this is becoming a, a bigger conversation now, and I'm really excited to have this conversation. It's particularly focused on global foods. We spend a lot of time talking about global foods as if they are just lumped into one box. Uh, we used to use the word that's now kind of problematic, ethnic food. Now we say global food, but that means so many things. So when you talk about Korean food, Indian food, South American food, Latin American food, there are so many countless cuisines within each of those descriptions. I say that in regards to Tokabe because the same is true, of course, of Native American foods. Ben pointed out that there are over 500 tribal communities in the U.S., and they all bring their own unique cuisines to bear. So when we talk about Native American cuisine, 
we're only scratching the surface on what that means. And Tokabe in particular is only scratching the surface, but doing so in a very authentic way and representing the foods of so many different tribes, even if they specifically focus on Osage Nation, there are so many tribes represented on their menu. My second takeaway is that the stories of ingredients are important, as important as the stories of the recipes that they are in. So when you talk about the foods of a cuisine, you talk about certain recipes, certain dishes, all of that is important when you talk about the story of the culture that they came from. But what's important, just as important, is the ingredients that make up those recipes. That's especially true for, for Tokabe. So Tokabe is serving foods inspired, of course, as I just said, by the many tribes around the country, native tribes around the country. But they're in particular focusing on the ingredients that make up those recipes, and they're doing so by sourcing those ingredients from the native tribes around the country. They're looking for high-quality ingredients, yes, but they really want to source them from tribes to make sure they are as authentic as possible and, of course, support the tribes that have developed these recipes over millennia. My third takeaway is that to ensure quality sourcing, sometimes you need to build your own supply chain. I think that's an incredibly interesting part of the Tokabe story that at the beginning of when they launched this restaurant in 2008, Ben and his co-founder, Matt Chandra, they wanted to source all of their ingredients from native tribes, but it really took until COVID for them to take the time to focus on doing that. And now they have done that. They've set up their own supply chain that they can source these ingredients, these high quality native ingredients from tribes around the country. I, I thought he had some such a funny stories of how they've been able to pull this off, talking about sourcing uh, bison from South Dakota that they then get a trailer and take them down to Oklahoma where there's a native processor to process it and, and then take it up to Colorado where they serve it at their restaurants. Obviously, this is no easy feat, but they are so dedicated to that mission that they built this supply chain to be able to facilitate the delivery of ingredients to their restaurants that are a part of their mission, and that is ingredients from native tribes. Related to that, my fourth takeaway is that your entire concept beyond the menu can reflect your purpose and your mission. Tokabe is so dedicated to native tribes that, of course, they source ingredients from those tribes, but they're also uh, they're playing music. 100% of the music in their restaurants are from native and, and ind indigenous artists. Uh, their atmosphere, the art that they have in their restaurants are from native artists. Even as they start franchising, they're franchising uh, at or initially with tribal entities. I think this is so important because people will talk, restaurants will talk about their mission and the story of their concept. But, you know, sometimes we'll cut corners for costs and uh, because, you know, it's easier to, um, to cut some of those corners than to go all out into that mission that they initially set out for. But that's not what they're doing at Tokabe. They are so dedicated that all things that they're doing reflect the Native American community, that they are taking their time and even taking the hard options sometimes in order to, to put their money where their mouth is with that mission. My fifth and final takeaway is that by empowering your team to share their opinions, you will have happy customers and happy employees. 
I thought this was a really interesting thing that Ben talked about, how their employees on the front line are encouraged to share what their favorite recipes are, their favorite menu items as customers have questions. This was something I got to experience firsthand a couple of weeks ago while we were in Denver for Create. I dropped into to Tokabe and I didn't know what, what recipes were best. I didn't know what some of the ingredients were, but I wanted to have an authentic experience. And Ben's team there at the store was really helpful in pointing me to some of the things that I might like. So, of course, their menu with Indian fry bread, uh, medicine wheel nachos, bison ribs. These are things that you don't see at other restaurants. And so you're not as educated on what's going to be good. And Ben encourages his staff to point uh, point customers to the things that they like best. Because not only does that genuinely point customers to good food and not just high margin items, but the employees feel like they're a part of what they're doing. It's, it builds into the culture of Tokabe as much as anything, because employees are excited to share what they are enjoying, what they are happy about. Those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and leave your feedback. You can also email me at sam.okus at informa.com. Thanks again and talk to you next week.